Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Inside Intercom podcast. To quote our own VP of product, Paul Adams, product building is just as much an art as it is a science. And to balance that, great product companies need a plan, their product roadmap. For this episode's guest, Janet Basto, product roadmaps are at the core of her everyday work. A product manager herself, Janet co-founded the software company ProdPad because she didn't have the proper tools to plan her own roadmap and product backlog. She's also the co-founder of Mind the Product, the premier global community and conference for PMs, designers, and engineers alike. And what free time she has left, Janet mentors other startups on how to build and grow responsibly. In our chat, Jenna shares how to approach the length of your product roadmap. Much smaller company with a less mature product might only have visibility or need to have visibility of the next three to six months. You know, they don't have funding beyond that. They don't have customers yet. Whereas a much more mature company might think two to five to 10, even longer years beyond where the roadmap begins. The way your roadmap will have to scale. As you go, you're going to realize that it becomes overwhelming to look at a roadmap that's a whole pile of features. And you're going to start needing to group them into themes that group around what kind of problems you're solving. And how to push back against feature requests. I think it's important to use things like the product vision and the objectives to point out whether something's aligned or not. If you feel it's not aligned, then question it. Ask why you think it's something that's important. If you like what you hear, want to check out more Inside Intercom episodes, subscribe and rate the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. This helps new people find the show and we appreciate all of your feedback. And now let's hop on the line with Jana Basto. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Jana, great to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Adam. So product management is a very young field, at least compared to things like design and engineering, and one that people come into from a variety of paths. What was yours? Uh, When I first started in product management, I'd actually never heard of the term. I was a customer support rep for a tech company, and they liked the way that I was able to report bugs and talk to the customers and found that nice balance there. And so my boss pulled me aside one day and said, I'd like to make you a junior product manager. My first reaction was, great, I like it. What is it? Uh, And I actually had to Google it and figure out what my path was going to be and how I was going to figure out this new role. But having studied business beforehand and having dabbled in tech and in design beforehand, I'd never actually heard of the term product management. I think that's changing nowadays, though. You're consulting with people on product management all the time outside of your actual projects yourself. And one thing I know you like to begin those projects with is, is a simple question. What problem are you solving with your product? So I ask you, what are the problems that you encountered with ProdPad and Mind the Product that led you to go out there and solve them? Two different problems, distinctly different problems. Uh, One was that I was a product manager and I wanted to learn from other product managers. And there simply wasn't a lot of resource online. There certainly weren't a lot of people in my network who are product managers. So a couple of us, this was about seven years ago now, decided to get a few people together in a room with some beers and uh, start holding events for product managers. It started off as a product tank, which was uh, maybe 20 or so people. And that's just grown and grown and grown and became mine the product over time. With ProdPad, it was a similar but different problem. Uh, I was a product manager, again, but at this point in time, I realized that I didn't have the tools I needed to do my job. I was hacking apart PowerPoint and spreadsheets and whatever tools I could get my hands on, and there was just nothing out there that quite existed. So my co-founder and I ended up building ProdPad, which was originally just a hack project, just something to help us do our own jobs. It was only a couple of years later that we realized that it was actually worth getting out there to other product managers out there in the world. 
It's funny how many of those projects end up as simply something to help you do in one job better, and all of a sudden it's it's a whole business in itself. One thing that ProdPad does help with is something that's one of the more debated aspects in product management today, and that's product roadmaps. I don't think anyone's going to argue that they need a plan, but there are so many different ways to go about creating one. And Paul Adams, our VP of product here at Intercom, has written a lot about what goes into uh, our product roadmaps at Intercom. I'm curious, like, what inputs are you using for the product roadmap at ProdPad? A good roadmap actually comes from approaching it from two angles. You've got the top-down approach, which is outlining what your vision is and what your objectives are and and what those big steps you need to take to meet that vision. That's top-down product management. But you can't just do that because that means that you're not paying attention to what's going on in the market. You need to blend it with some with a bottom-up approach, which is looking at all the opportunities that are out there in front of you. So which ideas are being surfaced by your team? What feedback is coming in from your customers? What are you learning as you're watching the market and learning from your customers? By blending these two together, you can actually create a roadmap that is flexible enough to allow you to change to what's happening in the market while still making sure that you're building towards your vision and and solving the big objectives that are important to your company. Are there any of those inputs that are maybe harder to manage from your experience than others or that takes a lot of work to balance? Uh, I think the part that most product managers struggle with is just this influx of ideas and feedback from customers all the time. Uh, it's not easy to gather everything in one place and then close the loop on it and make sure that you know what you're building is actually still relevant to customers, even though you first heard about it six months ago. So there's this constant cycle of checking back and validating what it is you're doing, even if it is something that you've been validating over time, you still need to make sure is the right thing to build as it goes out the door. And when it comes to prioritizing all those inputs, you have this really great, it's a metaphor, it's also an interactive game, really, but to get all the people on one page within a company, it's called the product tree. What's the process there? Can you sort of describe that and how it works? Sure. So the product tree game is actually something that's uh, highly influenced from something from the folks behind Innovation Games. And I love it because it's a great exercise you can play with your team or even with you know different stakeholders within the company or even customers. What you can basically do is get your team together, different points of view. So somebody from sales, somebody from support, somebody from development – and put them in a room and draw a massive tree on the whiteboard or print out a a template of a tree. The trunk is meant to represent the core features, the absolute must-haves and what you have in place today. The branches represent different areas that you could go into, and the roots represent uh, the infrastructure that's needed to build the tree. Then what you do is you get everyone to fill out post-it notes with all their ideas, just brainstorm everything and get it down onto post-it notes. And then together, have everyone stick them onto the tree and negotiate with each other as to where these particular features or ideas might go. Some stuff might be absolutely core and needs to be right down by the core of the branch. These are the things that need to be built first. Other things might be a lot more nebulous or you know blue sky thinking ideas, right. which might sit out in the further reaches of the branches. The infrastructure is also really important to have there, the roots, because this is where the developers get to have a say in what's going on. You might have a salesperson who says, you know, it'd be really great if we could get this view of our, you know, users and do this, that, and the other. And the developer now has the chance to stand up and say, well, yeah, if we wanted to do that, then we're going to have to build out this piece to hold the tree up and can start explaining why you need a good infrastructure and why time needs to be spent on that. 
And what you end up with is a picture of a tree, your product tree. And you can see right away, looking at it, whether it's balanced. Did everyone decide to go in one particular direction? Is that the right direction for the company or is that not quite in line with the vision? Do you have enough things in the infrastructure to support the bulk of new functionality that's requested that's wanted for the rest of the tree? It's a good visual way of getting people involved. It's a great way of getting people to see how many other things are happening at any point in time and weigh in on that and feel like they've got the input that's going into the roadmap itself. And how often would a team want to revisit an exercise like this? Uh, probably no more than every six months or so. I certainly wouldn't recommend rethinking your entire roadmap any <laughs> <Right>. more than that. <laughs> I usually say if you're updating your roadmap more than a, you know um, every couple months, then you're probably changing your vision too much. Obviously, smaller tweaks and things like that, but uh, I wouldn't recommend revamping it. That would throw off everybody in the team and wouldn't really allow people to understand where it is you're trying to go with it. So you have all these stakeholders contributing ideas in the exercise. Maybe you have customers involved. And there's uh, there's probably going to be a lot on that tree that needs to be pared down. And even when you walk away, more that needs to be pared down beyond that. So who should actually have a role in putting these concepts back into the roadmap? And you know, who should have access to that roadmap once it's completed? Is there such thing as too much transparency there? They product manager themselves should own the roadmap. Uh, it shouldn't be something that other people can stick things into or change up on the product person. Um, they should own the roadmap, but they should also do it with a good dose of transparency and uh, understanding that is being built based on the input of all these people. It's not just the product person saying, this is where we're going and because I said so. Uh, in terms of how you should actually show this off to people or how much you should show to people, you know, if this is your internal team, you should be showing them the whole roadmap. Everything the product manager knows about what is coming up should be visible to people who are going to be building this thing coming up in the coming months or supporting this thing in the coming months. When it comes to showing a version of the roadmap off to, let's say, your bosses or your board or your customers, you might want to pare things down. Sometimes it's because you don't want it to be leaked to your competitors because you've got something really secret coming up in the roadmap. It might be because some things are just mundane and aren't interesting to your customers or to the board. Um, so there's nothing wrong with having a slightly different version of the roadmap that you show internally versus the one externally, as long as they more or less tell the same story. Right. So one thing you won't see on your roadmaps, at least, is uh, deadline dates. You've said that those should be removed and product managers said focus on broader windows instead. Why is this so important to you? Well, it does a couple of things. Number one, it separates out the deliverables that are happening in your release plan, the things that are being immediately built out. We do build to dates, but we only build out maybe two to four weeks out, a couple sprints out. And that way, anything beyond that, we're actually open to change based on feedback that we're hearing, new things we've learned based on what the competitors are doing, what the market's doing, what our customers are asking for. In short, it actually allows us to be more flexible and change based on what we're seeing happening in the market. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. 
I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Our guest today is Jana Basto. She's the co-founder of ProdPad and Mind the Product. Jana, so we've written a lot about our, our roadmap structure. What are your organizational principles? With ours, we build it out in terms of uh, current, near-term, and future. Generally speaking, we'd be looking at something like two months, six months, and beyond. Mm -hmm. So not actually that far off from the intercom way of looking at it. Uh, We've heard of other ones that are now next future or 333 type formats. It's whatever works best for the company. One thing that happens with roadmaps is that people tend to think about them in terms of calendar years. They look at it saying, well, this is what we can do in the year and cut off beyond that. But in reality, a much smaller company with a less mature product might only really have visibility or need to have visibility of the next three to six months. You know, They don't have funding beyond that. They don't have customers yet. Whereas a much more mature company might think two to five to 10, even longer years beyond where the roadmap begins. So I think the length of the roadmap should be dependent on the product itself and the maturity of the company. The split, though, of proportionally shorter time versus longer and longer times, time horizons as you go out, I think makes a lot of sense. So when you look at the short-term deliverables, it's obviously much easier to say, okay, we're, we're on track, we're going to make this, or we're going to need an extra two weeks or an extra sprint to complete this one feature update. But when it comes to those bigger picture goals, like several years down the line, for instance, how often should you be revisiting or updating those? The longer term stuff should be revisited if you've changed your fundamental vision. And I think it's something that needs to happen at a company level, not just the product managers, but the company needs to make sure that their company vision makes sense. You know, is there still a market for what they envision they'd be three years from now, you know, two years down the line? Are they still in the right place? Usually as companies progress, if they're successful, they actually open up the ability to think further into the future, which allows them to have a broader vision, to change what it is that they were originally going for, bite off bigger pieces. So I think it's just natural that any company will revisit their vision and therefore their roadmap maybe every year or so. You, um, you, so you work with a lot of companies helping them out on these sort of things. As someone who's seen a lot of different examples of roadmaps, some I'm sure wildly different innovative, crazy. Are there anything that you spot a lot when startups are building these out that is maybe a pet peeve they should stay away from other than, say, hard dates? Yeah, I think the other trap that I see product managers falling into or small companies falling into is creating a roadmap that's made up completely of different features. When you're very, very young and you've just got this MVP that's out there and a handful of customers giving you feedback, then there's actually nothing wrong with having you know, a small set of features that are being built next. But as you go, you're going to realize that it becomes overwhelming to look at a roadmap that's a whole pile of features, and you're going to start needing to group them into themes that group around what kind of problems you're solving. 
So if you're building an MVP, you might just say that, yeah, these are the next 10 things to do. But as you start building out a bigger roadmap, you need to communicate a bigger story than just we're going to launch these features and see what happens. So I think one reason why startups may fall victim to that featureless mentality that you mentioned in regards to how they build their roadmap, or maybe why the temptation to put deadlines on things on a roadmap exists, is it's a way for product managers to be able to measure their success and accomplishments to leadership within a company that maybe isn't as product first. Without those, how should product managers be able to measure their success and communicate that to leadership? Um, Product managers are notoriously hard to measure. It's easy enough to measure the success of a product. You know, you've got metrics and objectives that that product should hit, whether it's, you know, hitting particular conversion targets or revenue targets or growth targets. Whereas product managers themselves are hard to measure because they sit in the middle but don't necessarily have easy things to track. You know, unlike a development team, they're not tracked by number of tickets they complete or number of hours done. Unlike salespeople, they don't have direct sales quotas. Unlike support people, they don't have customer success metrics or anything like that. So the product manager is often judged by a mixture of these things as well as how they're actually working in the team. And this might come out of 360-degree reviews or other tools like that. But unfortunately, I don't have an answer for how you'd specifically measure the effectiveness of any particular product manager. So there's a great blog post you wrote last year that we'll be sure to link up in the show notes afterwards about really ask one question. Is the hippo hijacking your roadmap? And by hippo, you're abbreviating basically the highest paid person in your organization. We talk a lot about how product managers must be able to say no to things at Intercom, whether it's the small sample of customer requests or people within the company that are experiencing particular problems that they'd like to see solved in a product that may not be what the customer needs. How exactly should they go about saying no to the boss, though? Well, there's two major things that a product manager will, on a regular basis, have to say no to their boss about. One is being saying no to giving dates. Now, short term, it's expected that you're going to be able to give a range for that date. You'll be able to say that this is coming out within the month or so. And that's based on your dev team being able to provide you with some insight as to what's happening. Long term, though, it's worth pointing out that things like resources aren't known. So therefore, so are dates. You know, you can turn back to your boss and say, you know, you're asking me for a date on something that we're talking about a year and a half from now. We don't know how big the team's going to be. We don't know whether we're going to get that funding or hire the right people. How can I possibly give a specific date on this? And that usually helps point out where there's going to be deficiencies in giving any sort of date on future deliverables. The other thing you might have to say no to quite often is saying no to features. And I think it's important to use things like the product vision and the objectives to point out whether something's aligned or not. If you feel it's not aligned, then question it. Ask why you think it's something that's important. You might actually figure out that your hippo has a different vision than you, in which case it's a more fundamental problem than just that one particular feature. The other thing you can do is use tests and data to your advantage. Uh, If you are just bringing in your opinion versus the hippo's opinion, you're going to lose. If you're able to test and prove whether something's going to work or not or move the needle in the way that they expect it to, then you can do that before you commit to building something absolutely huge. So whether it be an organizational leader or a customer, what have you, when do you actually find yourself at ProdPad saying yes to a feature request? What has to align? 
At the very least, this would be something that I, I'd expect more than one customer, more than one user has been asking for, and that it's something that fits with our vision. It makes sense in the broader scheme of things with what we've been looking at. There's also a little bit of gut feel available in there. You know, we'll talk to a customer and find out what it is that they're trying to do and try to empathize and say, oh, is this something that, you know, we also feel would be useful to ourselves or to other customers? Is this something we feel should actually fit in with something else we're working on? And it just opens up a lot of other conversations. As soon as we hear something new from one customer, we'll turn to other ones and ask if it's a similar problem, find out if it's something that has been irking other people, but we possibly didn't hear about before. And oftentimes we'll find that if one customer is asking for something, it might be something that matches with other people and therefore it deserves to find a place in our roadmap somewhere. So you just actually shipped a whole new version of ProdPad. Congratulations, first of all. Secondly, how did you know it was time to look at building a whole new release rather than releasing a lot of these improvements incrementally? Well, incremental feature releases are great if you're testing if something is worthwhile even building. At this point in time, we've proven ProdPad. We have more than 600 customers. And incrementally, it's very difficult to improve things like making an app more stable or faster. We realized that the tech behind it was at its upper limits and the best way to allow us to move it forward and create a platform that we could continue iterating on would be to build the front end again. So the new release is actually a rebuild of the entire front end, but we also took the opportunity to rethink quite vastly how our navigation works. And so along the way, we actually got in quite a few changes to the usability to make it easier to navigate, easier on the eyes, but also blindingly fast and more stable than the previous version ever could have been based on the tech it was on. So you and your colleagues at ProdPad have shipped more than just the app itself. You actually shipped a book a year or two back, The Handy Guide for Product People. It is available free online and it's in print. Obviously, it's still relevant. I know you uh, were tweeting out that you had copies on hand at Saster last week. But if you released a second edition of that book today, what would you add to the mix or maybe even give greater emphasis to? I'd actually look at adding in more information around stakeholder management or simple objection handling for product managers, how to say no, how to influence people without necessarily having them report directly to you, how to manage your time and your resources as a product person. And as someone who runs the premier global community for product managers, you're exposed to a lot of new voices and thinking in the field than perhaps most of us are in our day to day. Whose ideas have really caught your eye lately that our listeners should maybe pay attention to or try to seek out and see speak? As product management evolves, we're actually seeing a lot more emphasis on the art of leading in product management, the the people management aspect of it, and the, the idea of having a team of product people delivering. One to watch is Nate Walkingshaw. He's the CXO of uh, Pluralsight. Uh, he's actually writing an O'Reilly book on product leadership alongside Martin Erickson, who's my co-founder at Mind the Product. And he's actually speaking at Mind the Product SF. To wrap things up, Jana, you recently tweeted, I thought this was pretty interesting, mostly because I'm into two things, AI and brunch. Uh, And over brunch, you were debating the impact AI might have on product management in the future. Uh, But more generally, how do you see the field evolving in the next few years? Uh, That's a really great question. I mean, the brunch conversation was talking about what sort of changes would have to happen in artificial intelligence to replace product managers. And the debate was as to whether it's an inherently creative field that will always require a human touch or whether it's something that could theoretically be replaced by the robots. 
we never actually came up with an answer to that. But I think over time, we're going to see a lot of the grunt work of product management being replaced. A lot of times, product managers are spending their time simply specking out or devising experiments for the same things that product managers before them have always done. I think there's way more tools available to product people now and to product teams available now that help them focus more on asking the bigger questions and solving real problems rather than simply just writing specs all day. All right, Jenna Bastow, we will leave it there and we can catch you at Mind the Product San Francisco on June 13th and in London September 8th. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.